I don't imagine that there's a single person in this room this morning who has not at one point or another in their lives come across a difficult person. Now, when I say difficult person, I mean the sort of person who just does not get on with you and you cannot figure out the reason why. And these people take up a disproportionate amount of your time, of your prayer life, of your every waking thought, because they trouble you to such an extent that they are always on your mind. You may have such people, these difficult people, to deal with in your life. You may have had this week a difficult person to deal with in your life. You might even have a difficult person to deal with in your life every day of the week. And I was really hoping nobody was going to look at their spouse when I said that. Uh, That could have been awkward, but I don't think anybody did. But the truth is that we all deal with difficult people at various stages in our lives. So you might look back, for instance, on your school days, or you might look back at times in your working life when you had to deal with someone who really didn't like you for no apparent reason. We don't always understand, at least I don't always understand, why we come up against difficult people in life. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we do know that we will come up against people who really do not like us. Jesus tells us in John 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So how are we supposed to act or respond then in the face of adversity and even of hatred? How do you deal with the person who stole from you? How do you deal with the person who is bullying you at work or at school? Or the friend who deceived you? Or that family member who betrayed you? Your boss, who treats you differently to everyone else in the workplace simply because of your faith. And even more than that, how do we deal with difficult people or what Psalm 37 calls those who are evil, those who do wrong, when they appear to get away with their wrongdoing? How do you react when you a diligent, respectful person with an exemplary work ethic lose your job while those who treat others with disdain are promoted? How do you react when you devote your life to the Lord and you try to live your life in a way that is pleasing to Him and you're the one who is struck down with a terminal illness? while all those around you brag 
about the four holidays they go on every year. How do you feel when 250 people are killed in bombings in churches and hotels in Sri Lanka and the bombers are walking the streets and justice is nowhere to be seen? Where there is injustice, where the righteous suffer while others prosper, I think one of the things that we feel, is it not, is anger. In Psalm 37 that Matthew read for us this morning, David knows all about the anger that we experience when we come up against injustice caused by those who do wrong. And don't only get off scot-free, but actually seem to prosper in life. David had been there, and he knew all about it. He had a son and advisors who betrayed him. The ungodly Saul was so angry with him that he tried to kill him, and David spent a good part of his life running from Saul. On several occasions, David could have been the one who killed Saul, but he did the right thing by sparing Saul's life. And what was his reward? It was Saul who returned to his comfortable palace while David went back to a cave. So David knew all about life's injustices and the pain they can cause. Now, we don't know the exact situation that David is in when he's writing Psalm 37, but we do know that he is reflecting on the evil that, work, the evil that can work through people in life. We also know from slightly later in this psalm, in verse 25, that David is writing this as an old man. He's looking back on his life and passing on knowledge to us. This is why this is one of the psalms of wisdom. And under the Spirit of God, he is sharing his insights with us on how to deal with the wickedness and the injustice committed by other people. The very first thing, And the most important thing that David tells us through this psalm is this. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Do not fret. It's a strange word, isn't it? It's not a word that we hear very often in modern society, still less a word that we probably use in our everyday lives. But it's clearly an important word for us to hear this morning. Because David repeats it in verse 7, do not fret when people succeed in their ways. And again in verse 8, do not fret, it leads only to evil. So he's clearly driving home this point to us, do not fret. But what does that mean, do not fret? We sometimes think that fret means worry. Do not fret, do not worry. But actually fret is so much more than that. Fret is that worry that we have in our lives when it becomes obsessive. Fret is what happens when we go over and over and over the same thing in our head because we cannot get rid of it. Fret is that feeling you have when you begin to get all heated up about something or someone. Fret is when you're absolutely fuming about someone or something. So fret is actually much closer to anger than it is to worry. And is that not exactly how we feel in life when we come up against life's wrongdoers? 
we can quickly find ourselves becoming absolutely mad at them. We can get sucked in to this vicious circle of wanting to get revenge, of wanting to take matters into our own hands, and of wanting to put these people back into their place. But each and every mention of the word fret in Psalm 37 is preceded by the words do not. Do not fret. Getting angry, God is saying to us, is not the solution to a difficult person in your life. Instead, there's a much better way, a way that allows us to exchange this burning, all-consuming anger that we might have for people for the perfect, almost indescribable peace of God. So it's really important that just after telling us in verse 1 that while he understands our temptation is to be angry, even if that is not the way that we should be treating wrongdoers, that God goes on immediately in verse 2 to tell us why we shouldn't turn to anger. For like the grass, he says, the evildoers will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. And immediately after the first word of verse 3 is trust. Trust the Lord. Trust him when he makes you this promise that he will deal with the evildoers. He is in control. And his promise is that the evildoers will wither and die away. Whereas those who trust in the Lord and who do good will enjoy safe pasture. So we're told, do not turn to anger. Do not turn to vengeance. Do not take matters into your own hands. But trust the Lord. And then we're told we have to do something else. We have to do something even more than trust the Lord. We have to commit our way to the Lord. So what God is saying here is, yes, trust me. But in addition to that, I need you to do something else. Commit your way to the Lord. Commit, hand over. Hand over the person who has hurt you. Hand over that person who has betrayed you. Hand over that person who has humiliated you. Hand over all of your worry. Hand over all of your anger to God and trust him to deal with it. And there's good reason for that, because we're reminded in verse 6 that we do not vindicate ourselves in life. It is God who will make our righteous reward shine like the dawn. It is God who makes our vindication like the noonday sun, because God always works for justice. Now, I am not standing here this morning and pretending for one moment that any of this is easy. You know, and I know, that betrayal, scheming, humiliation, deceit, suffering at the hands of others, having an injustice committed against you, these are some of the most painful, hurtful things that can happen to us in life. But we have to trust that God's ways of dealing with them are much better than our ways. And we have to trust that his justice 
is assured. So we trust and we hand the wrongdoers over to him. But even that isn't the end of the matter. In fact, it's only the beginning. Because when we hand these situations and these people over to God, two things will then happen. Number one is this. You will have to wait on the Lord. It might be a day or two. It might be a week or two. It might be years. It might go on for decades. But when you hand a situation over to God, you are accepting that you are not in control. And that includes control of the timing. And if, like me, you need to work more on the great virtue that is patience in life, then you will be tested in the waiting. Like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away, promises the Lord. And in verse 10, a little while, and the wicked will be no more. But God does not work to the same clock that we work to. In the great scale of eternity, what may seem like a little while or soon to us is not necessarily what God means by soon or in a little while. So we have to trust and keep trusting and keep trusting. But never assume that God is not working while we wait. Never assume that God has forgotten about your problems. I don't know about you, but when I have come up across difficult people and challenging situations in life, I have found that the Lord says to me, I'll deal with the conduct of others. And in the meantime, we're going to use this to build some character in you. I'm going to teach you to trust me more. I'm going to show you where strength comes from. I'm going to remind you, no matter how long it takes, that I am in the business of breakthroughs when all around you seems impossible. So what happens in the waiting? While we're pouring our hearts out to the Lord in prayer, while we're going through this process of surrendering ever more to his total control, when we're learning to submit to his sovereignty over us, we increasingly dwell because we are forced to in the presence of a loving Father who takes on our burdens so that we can experience his goodness to us. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. These verses, which are some of the most beautiful, I think, in the whole of the Bible, they are written in the context of a lesson about evildoers and the anger that we can feel towards them. And yet, we're not only told, but we are promised that if we trust the Lord, if we dwell in his presence, if we take delight in him, then he will give us the desires of our heart. But what does that mean? 
He will give us the desires of our hearts. Well, I think all of us in this room who have prayed longingly for things in our lives will know that the desires of our heart does not necessarily mean that God will give us everything that is on our wish list. It does not necessarily mean that God will just deal with our enemies like that. So we delight in the Lord. We wait upon the Lord. We be still in the presence of the Lord because we learn that it's in his presence and only in his presence that we find that deep peace that our souls long for when we are under attack, when we are in trouble, or when we are on the receiving end of injustice. And the Lord shows us, as he showed David, that that perfect peace, that that dwelling in the presence of the Lord, that that is all we will ever need to sustain us through whatever challenge, through whatever evil comes our way. As we read in Exodus 14, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So I said a moment ago that there were two things that would happen if you learned to trust the Lord, to commit the wrongdoers and evil over to the Lord. We wait expectantly. We delight in his presence. But the second thing we learn is this. Life as a follower of Jesus Christ will bring challenges. It will bring dangers. I think nearly all of us have experienced them at one time of another. And if you haven't experienced them, you will. And it will not be easy. You will come up against people who hate you. You will come up against people who discriminate against you. You might even come up against people who will persecute you because of your faith. Jesus tells us, and the language is strong, we will be hated for his name's sake. But Jesus also says something else about our enemies and those who hate us. At the Sermon on the Mount, he told his followers, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now for me, and maybe for you too, if this is not one of the greatest challenges, I think it is maybe the great challenge of the Christian life, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. And yet we will never know peace unless we practice forgiveness. And that includes forgiveness of our enemies. Because when people commit a wrongdoing, an evil, sin against you, you are not the only victim. They are a victim too. They are a victim of the schemes of the enemy that are being perpetrated in and through them. They just don't have the discernment to see it. So that's why we're told in Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's why we love our enemies. That's why we pray for those who persecute us. Because the truth is that every single one of us has fallen short of what is expected of us. Now, when we do, and when we recognize that, and when we repent of that, forgiveness in and through Jesus Christ is assured. We have the assurance, because Jesus Christ paid the price for all those occasions when we hurt God, when we betrayed him, when we abandoned him, and yet he still forgave us. Forgiving others who have treated us badly in life can be one of the most difficult things that we have to do in life. But it won't be anywhere near as difficult as being nailed to a cross. If you're here today and you believe in your heart that someone has committed a wrongdoing against you, then commit that person to the Lord. Trust the Lord to deliver justice when the time is right and take delight in the peace that he will give you as you wait. But prepare yourself too. Because when God says, trust in the Lord and do good, part of that challenge of doing good will undoubtedly be that the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, will prompt us, will challenge us to move towards forgiveness and reconciliation. And if you have committed a wrong against someone else, then have the courage also to do what is good, to do what is expected of us, and to ask for forgiveness. As you do so, you will meet with God in the form of the blessings that he will pour on you and the peace that he will give you. But the meek will inherit the land, we are told, and enjoy peace and prosperity. It reminds us of the words of Christ himself, who said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's really crucial that we understand that meek is not the same as weak. In fact, it's the complete opposite of weak. Meek means surrendering to God. Meek means having the humility, having the courage, having the strength to do what God requires us to do, even if in our own human weaknesses we find it the most excruciatingly difficult thing in the world. Meekness is surrender. Meekness is about doing what is right. Meekness is about demonstrating strength in the face of adversity. So if you're here this morning and you're carrying hurt in your heart, then maybe today the Lord is saying to you, have the meekness, have the strength to trust me 
to hand it over to me, and I will give you peace. If there is someone who has committed a wrong against you, and deep down you are absolutely seething about it, maybe days later, maybe it's months later, or maybe whole years of your life have gone by and you've been carrying this indignation in your heart towards somebody that the Lord is calling to your mind at this very moment. Then today, I believe the Lord is saying, show strength, show trust, show meekness, hand it over to God, and enjoy his peace that you were created to enjoy. If there is someone in your life who did something to you, and you do not think that you have it in you to forgive them, then today is the day of reconciliation through the meekness and the majesty of Jesus Christ, who is in the business of making all things new. Because when we carry anger and resentment and hatred in our hearts, the person who suffers most is you. It's eating away at you. I believe, and I believe for some time, that the Lord is calling us increasingly to forgiveness. I believe that the Lord is saying to us, you'll never fully delight in my presence. You'll never fully understand that peace that only I can give until you forgive that person who hurt you and you let me deal with the rest. If that's you today, then the prayer ministry team is here and they will be delighted to pray with you at the end. You don't even need to say what it is you want prayer for. You just need to surrender and trust to God and wait for his peace to fill your heart. Now, I do not know why people behave in ways that are evil, but I know that there is evil in the world. I know, and all I need to know, is that the enemy attacks us, and sometimes the enemy attacks us in and through other people. Sometimes they don't even know that the enemy is at work in and through them. But sometimes our words and our deeds can be hurtful too. And there again, God is in the business through his spirit of drawing our attention to those things, of those times when we have hurt others and inviting us to the place of forgiveness and reconciliation. God is in the business of making all things new. And I know that because I have experienced that on a couple of occasions in my life. I have experienced God using a painful situation involving evil, working through other people. And he has used that not to break me, but to draw me closer to him. In a moment, we are going to sing. We are going to sing a song in which we declare that what the enemy means for evil, God turns it 
for our good and for his glory. So I want us to hear again and reflect again on the word of the Lord, of the challenge of the Lord to us in this place this morning. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let us pray.